it more closely um, resembles hunting grizzlies in the Arctic because you know when you're hunting grizzlies in the Arctic you take a few steps reach down grab a blueberry here you do the same thing you reach over grab a grape has that classic Columbia blacktail look to him um, kind of crowns out like mm -hmm. comes comes back in towards himself and from the second you showed me the picture of him from scouting I was like that that's the buck I, I really want to shoot well and the worst thing you can do when you're squeezing off around is to to jerk the trigger right you got to follow through but there's a big difference between following through on your shot and admiring your shot absolutely true and these these are all of the uh the little shooting tips and aids that you can you can pick up either from you know reading the writings in uh, uh in a good magazine like peterson's hunting considering some of the traditions like uh popping the cork on a on a cab if you kill in the cab vines and some other some other nice tasting uh, opportunities go. I think that uh, when it comes to Central Coast blacktails, I think the Steinbeck Vineyard is going to be my norm in the future. <laughs>
so then of course we started group text and introduced each other and joe's like yeah i know i'm coming down to pastor robles and i'm hunting in some vineyard somewhere down in pastor robles of course i screenshot it sent it right to ryan i said hey ryan you got and of course then he goes and i'm also connecting with kevin Steele." and so i was like we were already coming out to do our little trip so it was just funny how small of a world it is and how all that kind of connection came together so super small just uh, everybody knows everybody and the connections especially in this industry are just so fun so yep. great to know everybody. I'm Jason Morton. I'm the VP of Marketing for CZ USA, and so also my first time hunting blacktails, not from California. Just putting that out Put there. That out there, yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I love mule deer hunts. That's one of my favorite. That's one of my favorite hunts, and so you know the blacktail being a a type of mule deer, uh, I was excited about it. First time to the Central Coast, too, then, Jason? Or? No, I've, I've come out here and hunted with Kevin on a couple occasions uh, for turkeys and uh, swine. Gotcha. And uh, I guess we, our soul suppressor conversation came came about because, you know, he showed me a picture of a, a, a pig your buddy got yesterday, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, opening night. day of deer season, right? Yeah. And uh, it's, it's in the dark because that's when they were packing it out. But I'm like, well, they're using thermals, right? <laughs> no, like can't, can't do that here. And I'm like, <laughs> so I already wish. knew you couldn't use suppressors or else I would have brought one with me. And, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't even think of hunting pigs without a thermal and a suppressor. It just seems like it, that, that's it's like, that, it tur- well, it turns it into work. <laughs> it makes it a hunt. Yeah. You're supposed it's to not, kill pigs, not, not hunt Texas. pigs, right? <laughs> that's exactly. right. Texas or Florida where you can do that. A little different Georgia. here. Georgia. Best pig hunt I've ever done. I just did this year. Awesome. Yeah. Down Thermals the swamps. and suppressors. So, yeah. Lay them over. They don't even know. All they hear is that bolt slip. That's yeah. it. That's all they hear. Well, Jason, glad to have you. Um, we'll talk more about your hunt. You you tagged out first and shot a really nice deer and excited to hear more about that. So Thank congrats. You. And to your immediate left, your good buddy mr mr kevin Steele. yeah i'm the uh i'm the publisher of peterson's hunting and uh i get to hang out with all these fun people uh and uh, actually make a living at it and i've been doing it for a long time and i couldn't imagine doing anything else local Central uh, Coast. yeah i uh, uh about 18 years ago we moved up from uh, southern california uh where i'd been working for you know 25 years uh out of la and the opportunity presented itself where i could finally work from home and i leapt at it uh, i spent 16 years you know commuting four hours a day from orange county to uh sunset and then wilshire boulevard uh to our oh, buildings uh, to when, go 20 miles yeah exactly when we were peterson publishing company uh, and then the peterson companies uh but uh yeah i had hunted up here probably since the late 80s uh knew the area pretty well uh knew that uh if the opportunity to uh, work from home ever presented itself then you know my wife and i were definitely interested in moving up to this area which is as you guys know it's it's kind of a paradise uh, yeah. it's not what people think of uh when they think of california it's a great place for sportsmen not only hunters but fishermen as well you got freshwater two of the biggest lakes in uh, in california some great little trout streams up in the santa lucias and you know 16 miles from here you got the pacific ocean so what's not to like uh, plus we don't get snow yeah it's kind of hard to hate the weather here aside from a day like today which is a little brutal thank god the guys got got tagged out yesterday but uh kevin nice having you and we'll only we'll have to blame kevin if there's anything said because he's responsible for both of you guys so <laughs> exactly what can Since i say what I yeah i, I today, apologize some, apologize in advance there was some interesting <laughs> conversations that happened today that might get mm-hmm. relived on the podcast so <laughs> i hope not <laughs> <laughs> okay so then i'm ryan newkirk i i guess i'm kind of the what guide outfitter cook host more like a bottle washer, maybe head uh, bottle washer. A little bit of that yeah. too. Wine, yeah. wine barista, bottle emptier. That's for sure. Enabler. Yeah. So <laughs> I, I, <laughs> yeah, enabler. Squeeze. Steinbeck Vineyards. Two a.m. conversationalist and all of the above, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. So I was really excited when I ran. Actually, ran into you in 
downtown Paso, I think yeah. it was, Kevin, and we just chatted and said, hey, let's let's make this happen. You know, you hunted back here in uh, 2016, I think we decided. And since then, every year, at some point, we've connected and you said, hey, when are we going to get Jason a blacktail? Jason needs to shoot a blacktail. When are we going to get Jason a blacktail? Worked out good this year. Um, and so, you know, my, my normal daytime job is I manage the farming operations here at Steinbeck Vineyards. Um, but then this is a, a really awesome little detour, getting to host some good people and hunt some good bucks. So we had a, a, a about as ideal of an opening weekend or opening day, realistically, as we could have had. You know, we knocked down two just awesome A-zone bucks. It's July 14th, or sorry, August, excuse me, August 14th, Yep. opener, um, the forecast initially was for 108 degrees, we lucked Typical. out yesterday, at, I think we hit a high of 92, which is still pretty toasty, um, but it was comfortable the majority of the day, it was, it was nice, yeah, but, you know, deer were just moving everywhere, and uh, put some good stocks Several good stocks. You guys got a really good taste of what it's like to hunt in the vineyard. We got it done before we hit that 106, 107 degree temperature today. So, Are we all going to have to talk about Kevin's little deer he shot five years ago? Or are we just going to leave that? I mean, it's come up, what, half a dozen times at least already throughout the course of this hunt. I think so. Kevin's put it on his phone as his background picture or something so he has he ever reminded either of you this is the deer i shot because i'm gonna put it out there he shot he's reminded us deer. a lot that he's not a trophy hunter he's a beautiful meat hunter deer. beautiful deer <laughs> he's also the non-trophy hunter that has a 134 right inch blacktail on his wall so. I, I, i'm just not used to getting trophies so i've never really paid much attention to them i i i have always hunted for the experience um, you know, I love to eat wild game. Uh, I love the pursuit. I love being out in the outdoors. And, you know, how big they are really doesn't matter that much to me, as Jason can attest, because over our many hunts together over the last, I would say, almost 15 years, he insists that I always shoot the small one. Well, I think it's only fair. You're you're up first. <laughs> yeah, that's, a, that's about what it gets down to. So you know, maybe I am a trophy hunter, but I just you know never have the opportunity to do it. Well, you know, I, I, I think "never" is a big word. I think that uh, there are many times when you choose a uh, a special trophy instead of the largest one. Well, you go, you go after some stuff that I I'm like, why did you do that? But, it's it's just good manners, you know. Uh, no, I'm, I'm saving not. I'm saving the better specimen for you. No, it's who it's looks not better behind the camera. Yeah, well, behind the camera we both look the same. In front of the camera, I look better. <laughs> <laughs> That's the beauty of a podcast. They yeah, can't see our face. So. I, have to, I, have to, I have to agree with Jason on that. He does look very good when he shot quartering forward. Okay. Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, you have to get the angle right. It's all about the it's angles. It's all about the angles. So you guys came in. Did you? Well, I guess thinking about just expectations, right? I mean, neither of you had shot a blacktail. Um, one, Joe, being from California, you know, your your sub adult life and moving later in life, but never hunting here. I mean, maybe you guys can just talk through. Okay, I'm coming to a vineyard to hunt blacktails in Central California. Like, what's going through your mind? What expectations are you having? Well, honestly, for me, I I was expecting to shoot a 135 inch blacktail because I knew I just had to be Ryan. <laughs> and uh, every, everything I've seen in the meetings for the past several months is his black blacktail in the background of our Zoom chats. <laughs> so I'm looking at that, going, "Oh yeah, this is going to be a great hunt." Boss is pumping and, in there. He's yeah, like, and he's, "Hey, look at this <laughs> one. This is amazing. This is <laughs> this is the biggest deer that was ever shot there." That's actually big ones coming around. That's actually true. I didn't know you were going to go there. No, I was absolutely pumped to come. I mean, seeing that deer, I, I didn't have the expectation that I was going to shoot a deer of that caliber. Uh, all, all joking aside, I knew it was going to be a good hunt. Um, I was 
really interested to see the experience of hunting, hunting in a vineyard because it was just going to be something completely different from anything I've sure. ever been exposed to. Yeah. Uh, which like jumping out in the Bridgers and Bozeman hunting mule deer, it's a whole different story than coming it, here in a vineyard where you got eight to ten feet. You're exactly. Like, There's a deer, now he's gone. Yeah. And you go to the next row, and now he's gone again. Yeah. Yes. Like, we, we see deer up in Montana, you know, a mile, two miles away, and spend the day trying to get on them. We're here, we're looking down every single row, straining our eyes in the shadows, trying to find these these bucks that are, you know, either sticking their head in the grapes or bedded in the shadows. And it, it's it's a difficult hunt, not physically, but it's difficult because it's like a game of cat and mouse. It's it's a search. Like you really have to work for it. So Yeah. Yeah. Um but I mean I mean so maybe you didn't shoot a buck the size of Kevin's, but you shot a pretty nice deer. Oh, definitely. You I shot. couldn't be more thrilled with, with the buck that a I ended nice up with. Deer. Yeah. Most definitely. Well, well you know, Oh, sorry. I was, I was just going to say, you yeah. know, when he was saying it's a cat and mouse game, uh, Ryan rattled off some interesting figures the other day uh, when we were headed out to the range, I think, even before we started hunting. And uh, he said, you know, right now, basically, we're, we're hunting a portion of the vineyard that's, that's about 500 acres. He said, we've got over 400 rows and over 400,000. 4,000 rows. 4,000 rows. 400,000 vines. 400, vines. Yep. And that just blew my mind. So yeah. if that would give the audience, uh, you know, an, an, an impression of, of what you're dealing with here, especially when, you know, the rows are roughly, you know, 10 feet across maybe, and uh, they can go up to 400 yards long, and you can't see across them. So you literally have to be at one end or the other and, and look straight down the row. Yeah. There's very, very few spots where you get enough elevation change or angle to, to see across multiple rows. I think we had that happen maybe three or four times where I was able to see a deer in the upcoming rows rather than looking straight down the row, which, which is a complete game changer where, you know, I'm used to getting up high, glassing, finding something, yep. putting in the effort to go get it. Yeah, so, basically putting all your eggs in one cart that day and... Going exactly. after one deer that you saw three miles away, or here that deer could be sixty yards in front of you, crosses over, and you never see it again. Exactly, yeah. it, everything changes so fast, and and we were talking about this whole weekend how they move through these vines so easily. You have your your drip lines and the wires, and um, they'll go through it like there's nothing there. But as soon as like one of us, like we go to try and step under that, and it's you know a slow slow process well and it's really incredible because you know the space between the wire in most of these fields is about 20 inches and then you take a deer that has 16 or 17 inch tall antlers plus its head and you watch them go through it and they'll just run through it at full speed yeah effortless yeah it's you know incredible. you can't even keep up with them if you're in a pickup yeah let alone trying to chase them around on foot mm-hmm Jason, you were saying you love hunting mule deer. That's your that's oh, your do. thing. And then here you come to a place like this, and you know it's it's a little it's, bit different, huh? It is different. It's uh, you know the one the reason I love hunting mule deer is because typically you get to look at quite a few deer. It's a, it's a great spot and stalk hunt, and you know in that respect, this didn't disappoint at all. We saw. A lot of deal, deer. I mean, a pile of deer, and uh, and gosh, half a dozen, eight maybe, you know, shooter bucks. I'd, I'd say right there at least. Um, so I'm in, you know, tons of you know smaller bucks, but uh, you know the ones that were like made you consider flicking the safety off, half a dozen or eight of them, and that's cool, uh, especially considering we only hunted one day. I mean, you know. Yeah. One day and probably what? How many acres and where they were in within size? Well, I mean, we covered it all. Yeah. But, you know, a lot of the time we're, every time you hit the brakes on the pickup, it's doe, mm-hmm. doe. Oh, there's twins, mm-hmm. doe, fawn. Spike. Spike. You know, the little mm-hmm. fork. Yep. The population is is huge mm-hmm. this year. Um, but like Jason said, you know, there's a lot of good bucks running around. There are. But I'll tell you what, it more closely, you know, if you, you want to compare this hunt to another one, I'd say it more closely 
um, resembles hunting grizzlies in the Arctic. Because, you know, when you're hunting grizzlies in the Arctic, you take a few steps, reach down, grab a blueberry. Here you do the same thing. You reach over and grab a grape. I don't know if I was eating the profits or not. I was wondering know. where you were going yeah. with that. I, I didn't just, quite get the analogy of the association. Staying hydrated, right? Those yeah. blueberries in Alaska are pretty good. But well, yeah. And I tell you, really none are. of these grapes, you know, at least if you, if you look for the shiny purple ones, and maybe that's the ones that are deer licked. I'm not sure. But, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, Deer's saliva adds flavor, actually. They're pretty... They are pretty, pretty darn sweet. And then we have the salsa spoon. Now the deer were not, um, were not necessarily. Yeah, the salsa spoon's bad. I didn't even talk about that. But the the deer were not eating the uh, the purple ones. The deer were eating the uh, unripe ones. You know, the the green ones, which you know, because of my spectacular shooting display, we got to find out. <laughs> but. Uh, yeah, I, I ended up, uh, my first shot, a little far back, uh, got it in the, in the liver and then followed it up with uh, a couple more uh, that did that did hit, but one of them was uh, the uh, south end of the northbound train and opened up, them up a little opened bit. Up a little bit. Yeah. The other, the, the other one took out the heart. So, If it hasn't happened to you, you if haven't it, uh, hunted long enough. That's, exactly. that's my, my philosophy is if it's still standing, keep shooting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's, that's what... Oh, sorry. That, so that's what we saw real quick is, I mean, you know, back to the whole layout of this hunt. When you've got a 10-foot window and you got a deer that, I mean, anybody who's hunted deer for any amount of time knows that 90% of the time they spot you before you spot them or they, they know you're there. So you've got about three seconds to make the shot. Yeah. And so, you know, you get set up, and as happens frequently, when you took that first shot, that deer was just starting to take a step. Mm-hmm. And I was really thrilled with how that played out because you just slammed another round in and put another one in him because tracking deer in a vineyard is a nightmare. Track an absolute a, nightmare. Track a deer anywhere is a nightmare. Unless you're on frozen pond, it's, it's yeah. not, not going to be a good day if you have to track a deer. Yeah, no. and so it took more than one, more than two shots. But yeah. at the same time, that deer was down within 100 yards. Yeah, And, and you joked about your shooting, but I, that's probably what you did the best. It's like you had a scenario where the deer stepped as, as mm-hmm. your shot broke. But you cycled that bolt so fast and got back on that deer and if that hadn't have happened we would have been in a situation where we're on our hands and knees crawling through the vineyard looking at through that nice yellow star thistle yeah Yeah. and yeah i I thought it was i thought it was great because a lot of inexperienced hunters or, or new hunters would not cycle the bolt that fast i mean we were talking about that a different time ryan when outfitters and guys are always you know reminding their clients to rack another round nobody does it just out of uh just off the cuff you know you know american american hunters are are conditioned i think improperly that to be a proper hunter you have to kill your game with one shot and you know to a certain extent that's true the problem is it doesn't translate across all situations and guys get hung up on that, and they get to the point where they'll shoot, and then they'll lift their head up, and if, if the animal doesn't fall immediately, they don't know what to do, literally. Um, you know, it takes them too long to cycle the gun. Most people are not trained or competent cycling a bolt action from the shoulder. You know, they immediately lower the gun, cycle the action and put it back up on your shoulder and that's the complete wrong way to do it so you know it's a question of training it's a question of conditioning uh it's it's a question of a whole bunch of variables that you have no control over but you know there's a right way to do it and a wrong way to do it and unfortunately too many people just don't know the right way to do it i think i think you're exactly right it's it's not something that just comes natural to somebody. Just because they buy a hunt, hunting license and a rifle, people don't know that, hey, if it's still standing, follow it up, right? Yep. And it is training. And it's, you know, the other half of that is maybe it's not always training. Maybe it's learning the lessons the hard way. Maybe it's losing animals, which, yep. you know, as a hunter, it's the worst thing that can happen to you. But, 
you know, there's a lesson to be learned there still. Yeah, I think, you know, outfitters are savvy. They've, they've seen so many, uh, uh, and guides, they've seen so many hunters uh, of various experience levels come through their camps. Uh, and they know, you know, if, if a guy gets out of the truck and he's, he's got a new rifle and it's got a brand new sling on it and a brand new backpack and a pair of shiny boots, that he's going to have to watch that guy. They just know it instinctually. Whereas if the guy gets out and the boots are all scuffed up and he's wearing a backpack and he's wearing a backpack not only to carry his gear, but he knows that it makes an expedient rest if he has to go prone uh, to make a proper shot. Or he's carrying his own shooting sticks uh, or his own tripod on the rifle. Um, you know, these are little indicators that this guy is experienced enough to know that he's not just going to be, you know, rapid-fire Joe, you know, shooting offhand um, at 200 yards at a, at a deer that's, that's running away. Um, and these are the situations we run into in our public hunting grounds because, you know, folks take a hunter safety class, but those classes don't teach you everything. No. And there's the etiquette, and there's so much more from experience, experiential, you know, just being out in the field and... To that point, I took Ryan out um, in March this year, and he shot his first animal with a, with his new rifle. It was a pig, but it was interesting because I, I spotted the pig and got Ryan on, and he had his sticks. And, of course, I know Ryan's a cold-blooded killer, but this boar was feeding away, quartering away. It was a perfect shot, and uh, Ryan shoots, and he immediately puts another one in. And that pig ran off and was burying his nose in the dirt, and I knew he was done, but Ryan just sat under him, ready to go again. It was it was cool because I videoed him doing it, but it was it was impressive. To your point, being conditioned to know, you know, one's good, two's a hell of a lot better, and especially for buffalo hunting, three to four to five, you know, as Craig would say, if the first one didn't make an impression, the next nine won't. But but nonetheless, the more you get in them, the better for sure. At, at the, the end of it, the dictum on dangerous game is you keep shooting until the game stops stops moving. I mean, it's just as simple as that. Yeah. Well, and so then to Joe's deer, you know, I mean, we had a perfect broadside shot, 157 yards, I think it was. Yeah, somewhere right in there. We're standing on a, standing shooting off a tripod, and you made a good shot, but there was also 20-some miles an hour of wind probably, you know, 15 to 20 miles an hour of wind, and so that's, you're starting to stretch things at that mm-hmm. point. And that deer, I mean, on impact, I saw the hit, it looked good. And on impact, that deer just bolted across like six rows. And so we picked up the sticks, moved over as fast as we could. You know, by the time we saw where it was laying down and, you know, breathing its last, uh, we set up on it. You didn't end up having to fire another shot, but you were ready to. Yeah, exactly. There there wasn't a second there where until we were completely sure that... I wasn't going to have a rifle trained on it. And with how you felt about that shot, if you had had another opportunity to put one in it you would have oh 100 percent like that that was honestly one of the harder shots i've taken i mean everybody will say oh 157 yards that's a chip shot whatnot i'm not experienced shooting off of sticks i find a prone position everywhere i am set up my pack you know that's just the way it goes usually or i'm seated anything like that standing shooting off of sticks is not something i'm i'm practiced at i've done it a couple of times and you know, in that wind, that wind's just moving your body and causing a lot of motion in that scope. Yep. Um, and I think one thing that kind of helped settle my brain while I was going through my shot process was just I'm an avid archer, and, you know, you always have that pin float when you're, you're moving around, and I was able to kind of steady myself and move with the motion of the rifle, which helped me make the shot. But like you said, I was not fully comfortable and if that buck was still standing right there like i was ready to put another one in him right then and there so well it didn't come to me naturally you know there there is you know there you take your hunter safety class but there are a lot of excellent uh places to go to get you know more advanced hunter training you know he's uh, you know doug down at ftw he drilled it into me you know, you pull the trigger, and the next thing you do is put another round in the chamber, right? Well, and the worst thing you can do when you're squeezing off a round is to, to jerk the trigger, mm-hmm. right? you got to follow through, but there's a big difference between following through on your shot and admiring your mm-hmm. shot. Exactly. You know, lifting your head off the stock, trying to see where it fell, 
and trigger control is so darn important you know having your trigger set to, to the proper weight uh, for the game you're pursuing uh, you set it as light as is safe to use when hunting and I like mine to be about a pound and a half uh, on a dangerous game gun because you get pumped uh, oftentimes if you're you know on uh, a big bear or an elephant or a buffalo you know you're blown you've been you've been chasing that herd um, you know it's dangerous your your blood pressure is up your heart level is up you're breathing hard you know they slam the sticks down you don't want a pound and a half trigger you want like a three pound trigger because you're gonna squash it you know when the time comes to make that 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 shot you're gonna squash it so you want a heavier trigger pull mm -hmm. uh, I had an old boy from Texas when I was a young guy tell me that uh, you know you never pull a trigger you squeeze it gently like your girlfriend's nipple <laughs> and that always stuck with me and he was absolutely right I love it I was gonna go somewhere else with that and it totally just yeah I'm trying to visualize this right now <laughs> that's better than the what the clip the conditional oh boy <laughs> My wife came with us on this hunt, so I'm not going to talk yeah, about any girlfriend's nipples. That's just all this. <laughs> but you know, Joe, you talk about shooting off sticks, and uh, I learned a different appreciation for sticks. Ryan and I went to a shooting course, and uh, we were shooting out to 1,200 yards off sticks using back braces. And so it, and it's almost as good as prone, how we were shooting, although a lot of us prefer prone, you know, if we've got a pack set out or a bipod or whatever, but... It was incredible to stand there using sticks, standard sticks with a back brace and shooting with a 20-mile-an-hour variable wind, shooting out to 11, 1,200 yards, hitting a 14-inch yep. plate. I mean, so it's doable, but it, it's, it is. It's different if you're not used to it. It's different shooting off sticks. Oh, very right? much so. What type of uh, back brace? I'm, I'm not familiar. It's a 2 by 4 2x4. Literally. Oh. Yeah, I mean, so we would take that 2x4 nice and just kind of prop it up alongside our arms so then you, you kind of hang on to the 2x4. So like when you're shooting off a bench, right, a lot of guys will stick their 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 forehand hand, their, their offhand Back underneath, underneath their, yep. the buttstock of the gun and then kind of use that as your second point of contact. Mm -hmm. Well, when you're hanging, if you're standing up, you don't have that second point of contact. You hang on to that 2x4, all of a sudden you have it. It's yeah. a triangle. Yeah. It's a triangle. You've got three yeah. points of contact on the rifle. You got your forehand, you got your hand on the trigger, and you got your elbow. You yeah. know, and and it's a triangle. And, and more, they've more all, all got to be supported. You're seeing companies come out. Companies that have made mm -hmm. standard tripods now, they're coming out with some sort of rear support that mm -hmm. attaches to that tripod because it makes a world of difference. If you're trying to make a precise shot, it's better than you know using your. Guide shoulder is your yeah. second and point of you contact. Know, they, they will also do that um, uh, using the guide shoulder is one technique. The other is to use two sets of standing sticks. Correct. Uh, and one set is bracing the rifle uh, at the forend. The other is bracing your uh, firing hand elbow. You rest your, your elbow on the top of the sticks. Uh, something that I found in Europe, which I had never thought of, and I went, this is so simple, it's like a paper clip. Why didn't we think of this before? You're in a box blind, okay, like you might find in Texas or, or over a food plot in, you know, a, a whitetail state. Uh, and you've got, you know, you're sitting in your little chair, and you've got windows on four sides. Uh, and, you know, you shoot however you shoot from there. Well, in Europe, they have the same kind of box blind, although they're usually made out of local materials rather than molded plastic. But they take a two-by-four, and they position it from the front window to the corner window. So if you're right-handed, it would go from the front window to the window that's off your right shoulder. And all you do is you rest your arm on that two-by-four when you shoot. Are and you bingo, sure you are so solid, it's like shooting from a bench rest. Are you sure it's a two-by-four? Two-by-four. Wouldn't it be the metric system there? <laughs> oh, well, yes. And in that regard, um, so I have no idea how big <laughs> it would be. 50-by-100 <laughs> millimeter stick of timber. Yeah, yeah, but talk go. about simple, you know, a four- yeah. or five-foot two-by-four. Yeah, it doesn't have to be... I mean, those tripods were no. $1,500, you know, eight whatever those tripods they were shooting and... I mean, which, you know, there's all military-grade stuff we were using, but wasn't necessary, yeah. you know. Well, but, but like those African sporting creation sticks that I carry, mm -hmm. the reason I carry, they're not the most stable tripod on the market, but they're good and they're fast. 
They're easy to deploy. And they're strong. And the 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 thing that you can do too is if you have a, a decent piece of you know you find a tree limb or something like that that you can lean your forend on. You deploy those sticks as a rear support, or you you know you 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 hit you stick your chicken wing on there or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's amazing how stable you can get with just a simple device. Absolutely true, and these these are all of the uh, the little the little shooting tips and aids that you can you can pick up uh, either from you know reading the writings in uh, uh, in a good magazine like Peterson's Hunting uh, or listening to a good podcast like Lucas has here. Um, you know, you learn from the guys who who have done it and aren't um, you know these uh, these new influencers as they call them. You know, it's it's people with with experience in the field uh, that have hunted in different places under different conditions uh, and can actually you know teach you something. You know, and I think absolutely that's that's where it comes from. The the really where where you get the skill is getting out and doing it. And it may be that you steal your wife's broomstick, and there are three of them. You know, get some electrical tape, tape them together, and. Uh, and get out there and shoot off of it. Are yeah. you giving away secrets, Jason? I'm not saying that my wife rides a broomstick at all. That's not. <laughs> that is absolutely not what I'm saying. You can do a lot with a bicycle inner tube. Yeah. 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 So, Jason, you were you were first out of the gate. So when when you saw your deer or deers that you saw were, was there a moment in your mind that you saw high and tight, lots of points, wide and kind of boxy i mean what what kind of were you oh, looking you know for? we saw it all um just the you know those big frame big frame deer you're a mule deer just, guy just that's what it does it for me yeah yeah i like i like wide i do if it looks like a 747 coming into a land and i'm gonna <laughs> shoot it that's and that's a really wide buck yeah. i mean he was yeah. well outside his yeah. ears there was one that i think was wider that we saw and you know we didn't even we didn't even put a stock on it because I, I you know we thought he was a he thought he was a, just a huge fork right big two by and uh, later I think we saw that he he did have like a like a tiny little fish hook coming off the uh, the the back of his G two so each one so I mean he uh, I suppose it was at least an inch long container ring on it whatever their points but. It, for all practical purposes, it was just a it was just a huge two by. Well, and I, so we've seen him a couple times since mm-hmm. then, and I don't think he's wider than your buck. I really? think your buck is wider. I think the way he looks, mm-hmm. it, you know, he has a big frame. Well, he comes. It's not. He doesn't come out. He doesn't come up from his head. He comes straight out the side. Straight out, like, and then does a ninety. Well, he looks like a longhorn. He looks like a Texas longhorn. Yeah. That's what he looks like. Yeah. So he just goes out and up, then just yeah. a big fork. Way out and then up. I mean, it's just like yours. Yours has just. I mean. Just looking at the, the, you know, I would say that the lines of your deer, you know, when I saw a photo of it real quick, Ryan showed me, but then when I actually saw it, it just, it, it holds itself well. And I mean, a whole measly, what, 23, 24 inch wide deer, I mean, for a blacktail with a nice little kind of bladed point on the backside, just a, just a beautiful deer. Well, yeah, it's, it, it yeah. When 20 inches is the magic yeah. number in this area, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. There's not a lot of people that kill deer over 20 inches, nope. and you killed one that's three and a half, four inches over 20 inches. Yeah, no, it's a great I, uh, buck. I could not be more thrilled. I mean, it's just it's what I like: big, pretty deer, and that's that's what it was. Well, and the fat on that thing too. We peeled out <laughs> a backstrap and had backstrap for dinner tonight, and there was Two pounds, inches. pounds of fat coming off. Before oh, yeah. we even got to the meat, what is that, Kevin? Two right? inches, two inches there thick. There were two inches thick along the backbone. I mean, I, 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 I kept peeling and couldn't find the meat, and and I peel some more and then more and then I finally I dug in deep. I just figured let's go for broke. You know, I dug in deep <laughs> and when it came off, it it was at least two, it was like that thick, at least two inches thick. And I said to Ryan, when we peeled, uh, 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 when we. <laughs> When we peeled Joe's, um, I was looking at the carcass last night, and I said, if I had just pulled up in the truck and looked at that, I would have thought it was a hog hanging there, you know, yeah. not a deer. There was so much fat on it. And a drought year. 
Well, and that's what's kind of fun about this, right, is, you know, these deer, for the most part, for most of the year, live kind of a feedlot lifestyle. They just hang out in the vineyard. They've got food, water, shelter right there. We have a couple ponds, and I have a few irrigation troughs set out and all that, and they don't even get hit a lot of the time because we're irrigating the vineyard. They're eating the leaves. They're eating the grapes. They don't even leave. Um, and so, you know, from a, from a food standpoint, it's just absolutely spectacular venison. But then what's cool is from a hunting standpoint, you know, we, how many, how many different stocks did we put on at least three or four different times? We tried to sneak on a couple different deer Mm -hmm. and before Jason, you connected on your deer and as soon as you get out of the truck, and I don't know if they recognize rifles or not, but, you know, they know something's up. And so it's a it's a real hunt. Yeah. Yeah, you know, when we got out last night uh, when we were looking for Joe's buck and we were up on the, that, that big hill there where you've got that uh, steel building, and we were looking down into that big bowl. Uh, as soon as we rounded that corner, you know, the wind was at our back, and there was a doe down there that, that I had my binoculars on, and I, and I felt that wind blowing against my back. And all of a sudden, you know, none of us were making any noise. We were a good 200 yards away, at least, 250. And she just put her head up and looked right at us. And, you know, she was catching our wind is my presumption. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, no, it's, it's a real hunt. It's a real hunt. Yeah, and I think people probably think because it is a vineyard and, right, they've got all their food, shelter, cover. Well, if you've, got, if you've got, you know, what are we going to say, 20 legal bucks... And at least seven or eight, maybe nine shooter bucks on 500 acres. How can that be that hard? Right? They haven't been here. But then you think if about it in terms of if you've got 400,000 bushes, you know, you're always looking under a bush for a deer, right? Especially when it's this hot. you got 400,000 bushes that could be laying under. Right, in 4,000 rows. You know, and then every 10 feet, it's like you're coming up over the crest of a hill and you're looking into some new territory. Yeah. And they know know where they can go where they will not see a truck. Right. Those deer, there are places on this vineyard, and it's not like there's one place. There's lots and lots of places on this vineyard where those deer can go. And they won't be able to be seen from a road, and they know that. Yeah. So, and, and they they obviously go there too. You know? Well, and hunting in five hundred acres too, and like again, we talked about you know there's houses all around. It's it's tight quarters, and so you know the the first time we saw the buck that you ended up connecting on, or maybe the second time, we chased that one around. Yeah. Pretty good before we got on it. Yeah. Um, you know, it's bedded 50 yards away, facing away, so no clean shot, but it was also a little bit of a skyline shot, so it mm-hmm. wasn't a safe shot. So we're not going to take it. So we tried to sneak in on it, and again, we got to, what, 45 or 50 yards. This thing stands up and looks at us for two or three seconds, but it was a skyline shot. Sure. You can't take it. You know? Yeah. yeah. It's Yeah. And you, what's crazy is... Normally, you'd think, okay, so you're doing a stalk, deer busts, you think it's only going to move off 50 yards, you would continue the stalk, right? No, it you can't do sense. that here. You can't do it because the deer didn't go straight down a row, it took off a crossroads. And that's, it's just, it's, it's not, it's not a viable option. There's no as way. As soon as they step out of that row that you see them in, they you're, disappear. You're gone. Like, yep. it's, it's over. You well, to, and then. You have to get back out and keep looking. Well, ma- imagine, like, having, having a, a wall full of doors in front of you. Say there, say there are fifty doors along a wall in front of you, and in you know you go through each one of those doors is a separate hallway, right? Well, you can go into any one of those hallways that you want to, but if you want to change hallways, you have to come back through the door and go through the next one. The deer can go through the walls though. It's not fair, really. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I'd say you ended up all right, Jason. Say the game's yeah. rigged. You did pretty good. CZ rifles ended up being a pretty good equalizer. Yeah, right. right. There, there, <laughs> there are some advantages that we use as hunters, for sure. Yeah. Well, and then, so, Joe, on your hunt, that was kind of a fun, unique um, challenge that oh, we ran into because there were five legal bucks 
that were all kind of bunched up. Standing on top of each other. And there were two really good ones, and took us a minute to figure out which one we were going to target. Yeah, it did. And I think, it, you know, it all happened pretty quick, but it ended up being this kind of like whichever one presents a great shot first is what we're going to take, so go ahead. Exactly. Well, one of them was the wide buck that we were just talking about that... Uh, Probably isn't wider than yours, Jason, but has the looks like the seven forty seven. Yeah, exactly. Has that that look, that super wide look, mm-hmm. but is for all intents and purposes just a big fork. And uh, the other target buck that we had with them, uh, you and I talked about it, Ryan. The beautiful deer. You had scouting pictures of it. Really heavy mass around the bases, and really tall four by four. Has that classic Columbia blacktail look to him. Um, kind of crowns out like mm-hmm. comes comes back in towards himself and just a really really awesome buck and from the second you showed me the picture of him from scouting i was like that that's the buck i, I really want to shoot just it's that quintessential black tail look to me and and something that i wanted to target but having that other one there it was it was a tough decision it was it was difficult at that point but having to bounce back and forth between the two deer and waiting for the proper shot opportunity and when you have three deer in that row or four deer in that row there's not a lot of room to to find a shot opportunity you're not going to take an ethical shot really until that deer's alone so we we got pretty lucky got ahead of them a few rows and and that tall buck stepped in by himself and i was able to steady myself and make that shot what's so crazy is you know we I th- most of us who've been hunting for any length of time have had that situation where you're having to sort them out, right? You have does moving in front of you, um, whatever it is, or behind, you know, you don't, you, you got to not only be cognizant of the animal that's in front of your target, but also the ones that's behind because, you know, especially here in California, we're using the, uh, you know, the copper bullets, and they're awesome they open up fast and they they penetrate and they do devastating damage but it's only the the front part of that bullet that that opens up the bottom of that part the you know the second back half of that bullet stays solid and it keeps going it's going to hit it doesn't stop it is yeah, going to hit whatever is behind it, it keeps going you know it's it's going to be the exception when you recover one of those bullets out of a out of a white tail or, or black tail sized sized animal for yeah. sure but anyway he didn't have to deal with does mixing in and out and sorting them out he had to deal with shooter bucks getting in front of and behind each other i mean that was cool yeah, that, that was, was really cool it, it was a terrible problem and we knew it was, it was such a terrible experience that is probably never going to happen again no I, I can't imagine it would i really can't we you know we, we we were with joe when when he spotted those but uh we didn't we you know didn't go on the stock to give him the best opportunity but we knew exactly what was going on because it took a while you know, to hear that shot, and we knew exactly what was happening. We knew that those bucks, those shooter bucks, were mixing, and he was just having to get one sorted out. Yeah. Yeah. It's too cool. There was one point I was looking at both of them. I was like, I could probably kill both of them with this eco strike. It'd go right through one. <laughs> <laughs> it would have. It really would have. Like, that uh, yeah. That damage from that bullet was impressive. I was uh, pretty astounded by, by the hole it put in that critter. But I think that whole situation kind of really goes to show the effort that you put in here at this vineyard it's like you've run such a great operation operation managing your deer managing your herd um when you know correct me if i'm wrong but i would say you know well over 90 percent of vineyards just don't want them in there at all yeah like you drive around this area and you know almost everything is high fenced and it's just like most agriculture in california now you know it's transitioning more and more to high value crops where you're talking you know gross from, from your your gross revenue is going to be from 5000 to in some cases 50000 plus per acre and wildlife's just not tolerated yeah which is a bummer and, and what you guys are doing here you're you have a very high value crop like your your wine's amazing the grapes you grow are you know top notch they're the highest level and I think you're bridging that gap where you could have a healthy relationship between agriculture and wildlife, which I think is an awesome platform to, to work off of. And it's a, it's a really impressive one to say the least. Like you've done a great job. And I, I was absolutely astounded by the beauty of the area and the, and the quality of bucks that we were seeing. So 
Well, thank you. Yeah. Yeah, it's something that we're committed to. You know, we 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 love what we do growing premium wine grapes in the Paso area. Uh, we love hunting, and we also value wildlife and yeah. value real conservation. Well, it just goes to show sustainability and conservation can happen, and the two can live together in synergy and, yep, and coexist. Absolutely okay, and and it's cool that you guys have come in from outside to see how that happens because it's not generally normally you would come in and you would do a blacktail hunt on a vineyard that's just not the norm but um it is sustainable and it is a viable thing and ryan's done stuff here that not a lot of people in this area really do and he's just one having that mindset and knowing how to do it but also understanding the crop and the grape that he has and how they again let those two live together It's, it's pretty cool to see how those two thrive so yeah one of the coolest experiences i've had for sure yeah, it may not be the norm, but uh, considering some of the traditions, like uh, popping the cork on a on a cab if you kill in the cab vines and some other some other nice tasting uh, opportunities go, I think that uh, when it comes to Central Coast blacktails, I think the Steinbeck Vineyard it, it was going to be my norm in the future. Yeah, <laughs> definitely hard to beat. Some some good wagyu venison with it paired with a nice little wagyu venison. Wagyu venison. We had some tonight for supper. Yeah. Well, gentlemen, it's been great um, having you guys on. Great to to meet you guys. I'm glad you guys had a great time. I call this our little slice of heaven here on the Central Coast. It is a pretty remarkable place for for California. And like Kevin was saying, just the for the outdoorsman, it's almost the ultimate place to live. And it's cool that you guys got to come and experience that uh, this weekend and uh, some. Great memories. We didn't get into some of the funny stories, but you guys can uh, share those when the video comes out uh, in the future. But again, great meeting you guys. Great having you guys. And on behalf, I know Ryan, and who's a not an old hat on the uh, podcast here, did a, another great job on opening weekend. And uh, guys are walking away happy. I, if I could show the smiles on your faces, I would. But <laughs> looks like you guys had a great time. So it was great. And Kevin for hosting. Thanks, the hostess Lucas. with the most. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway, thanks, guys. Thanks for yeah. jumping on. And, uh, yeah, let's do this again another time, huh? All right. Definitely. Appreciate it. Yeah. Yep. Sounds good. All right. Montana next time. Uh. Hey, listeners. This is Lucas Paw, host of the RNA Outdoors podcast. Check out our website at rnaoutdoors.com to find all of our podcast platforms. Go listen today where you podcast. Additionally, leave a review and a five-star rating. These reviews help boost our popularity and outreach. You can also follow us on our social media outlets, Instagram at Rod and Arrow Outdoors, Facebook, RNA Outdoors and YouTube, RNA Outdoors. All links are in the show notes as well. We hope you'll pass along our channel to your friends and colleagues. Subscribe today and follow along on the journey.